Thank you for downloading this episode of our podcast. Hi, and welcome to the podcast for Solomon Staircase Masonic Lodge number 357, where we talk about all things related with Freemasonry, including Hermetic teachings, philosophy, reason, spirituality, and much more. We're located in Buena Park, Southern California. Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. The link I just on. And so this first first article is actually it's taken from uh, Mackey's Encyclopedia of Freemasonry. In our 20th century America, the word industry denotes manufacturing and factories classified as heavy industry and light industry, and connotes machines and factory workers. When the beehive is said to be an emblem of industry, the word is not used in that sense. Indeed, it is used with an almost opposite meaning, for it is used in the sense of centuries ago, which was the true sense. Industry was the employment of a very large number of men, tens of thousands in some instances, on one undertaking at one place at the same time, and they might not have used machinery. It was the method by which in the ages before heavy machinery, vast building enterprises were accomplished some of which have so long mystified modern men. The building of the pyramids, of the ancient Egyptian canals, of the hanging gardens of Babylon, of the ziggurats, of vast Hindu temples, of the Chinese Great Wall and Grand Canal of the Maya city of Chichen Itza. The same method by which in World War II, the Burma and Lido roads were constructed as well as great airfields in the remote hills of China and the method by which from Caesar's time until modern times, the Dutch have built their hundreds of miles of dikes. The beehive is the perfect emblem or typical instance of the power of industry because what no one bee or succession of separate bees could accomplish is easy when hundreds of them work together at one task at a time. The medieval Freemasons did not study and think about the same subjects that architects and builders do now, except in fundamentals did not secure the elements of a building ready-made from factories, had no steam or electric or magnetic tools to use, chemistry and physics were forbidden sciences and could be studied by the initiate only in secret or under a heavy camouflage of symbolism. They had two great subjects, materials and men. A modern architect knows far more about materials than the medieval builder because he has universities, literature, laboratories, and factories to draw on, but he knows far less about men. Indeed, he knows almost nothing about men. Where a modern builder looks to machines as the means to accomplish his results, the medieval builder who had no power-driven machines had to look to men. For this reason, the medieval builder knew far more about work than his modern counterpart, because work is nothing other than a man making use of himself as a means to get something done or produced or accomplished. Where a modern foreman thinks of himself as a supervisor of a building full of machines, the medieval foreman thought of himself as a master of workmen. By the same token, a workman had to know himself instead of a machine because he was his own machine. Skill is the expert use of oneself. It was for such reasons that medieval Freemasons thought much about and had a wide knowledge of the forms of work. There are some 52 of these. Industry itself is one of them, the most massive and most dramatic, but not the most important. Where a man makes everything by himself from the raw materials to the finished project is another. 
where a number of men work in a line at the same bench and where the first one does one thing to the job, the second does another and so on until the job is completed by the last man. So that is the job and not the men who move is another form of work. Where one man completes the thing, one thing, another perhaps in another place completes another and so on. And when finally a man combines a number of completed things to make one thing is another form of work, etc. The general organization of a lodge is based on the principle of forms of work. So are the stations and places of officers. Though as an emblem of the form of work called industry, the beehive symbolizes only one in particular. It at the same time represents the system of forms of work as it were as an ensemble of them. And from it, a sufficiently well-informed thinker could think out the system of Masonic philosophy. In our craft, the whole of fraternalism is nothing other than the fellowship required by the forms of work because the majority of them require men to work together in association, in stations and places, and therefore in cooperation. It is strange that in its present day stage of development, the so-called science of economics should concern itself solely with sub such, such subjects as wages, machines, money, transportation, because these are but incidentals and accidentals. Work is the topic proper to economics, and the forms of work are its proper subject matter. Any scholar or thinker who chances to be a Mason could find in his own fraternity a starting point for a new economics, as fresh and revolutionary and revealing, as was the work of Copernicus in astronomy, of Newton in physics, of Darwin in biology. A beehive itself is a trifle, and scarcely worth 10 minutes of thought. What it stands for is one of the largest and most important subjects in the world, and up until now, one of the least understood. So that's from Mackey's Encyclopedia of Freemasonry. So now I'm going to stop sharing. And Brother McCarger is going to lead a discussion. Very good. So Mackey's been referred to ever since he penned those words. The uh, beehive officially makes its way into Masonic literature about 1724. It's first sort of, you know, hieroglyphic depiction in a Masonic chart or, or a, uh, you know, some kind of drawing or, or uh, lithograph of some kind. So let me, you know, ask you, how many planes of truth do you think that we can derive from the beehive? Think about that for a moment. So the first plane of truth is what Mackey is talking about. It's immediately apprehended uh, because of the bees and their activity, what they're doing as a symbol for labor and industry. And these worker bees working together to accomplish a common purpose. And so uh, because of that, the beehive and bees in general have been used throughout human history to be to de be depict a lot of things that also be used as a symbol by by priests in Egypt, uh, ancient Egypt or uh, royalty, the Merovingian kings between the fifth and the eighth centuries, used bees in their, um, uh, 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 you know, on their royal robes and Clovis was buried with golden bees in his tomb. So, and Clovis, by the way, was a guy who converted to Catholicism when everybody else around him was pagan. So bees also have been part of Christianity and early Christian tombs had bees carved on them. Now, the, the beehive that uh, Wersh Aaron showed us there is a skep, 
a skep is like a woven basket and it's dome shaped. And if you notice that in the architectural renderings there in that uh, drawing that Aaron showed us, there's a dome beginning on the top of that. So it's like the Pantheon in Italy. You ever been there? Anybody seen the Pantheon? Yep. There it is, yeah. Um, so there, you know, in Renaissance architecture, a lot of domes are used all over the place. So, all right, so we have this immediate first plane of truth. Can anybody guess what the next plane of truth might be? It's a, it's a bit of a riddle. It's a bit of a, um, yeah, it's a bit, of, a bit of a riddle. Because what we see is the external operation of a beehive and even a real beehive where they're you know, hanging from a tree, all the bees are on the outside. But the beehive has an, an internal structure that's hidden from view. And there's work the, going on inside the beehive that we can't see. And so Masonically speaking, as far as symbolism goes, we're trying to imply that there's an inner work that's going on inside of us as Masons. You know, the work we may do, hey, there's Siobhan, welcome. Brother, thanks for being here. Good job. So as Masons, we have an external and an internal labor that we do. The external work of the lodge, we're working together, we're worker bees in harmony and industry to accomplish the goals of the lodge and so forth. But then there's our own interior work that we're doing ourselves, uh, with ourselves in self-discovery. And the last point I'm gonna make before I open up the discussion is that right away, you know, anyone who is studying a beehive, going back as far as you want to think, there's a, there's a natural law in effect. And this idea of natural law works its way into the enlightenment philosophers. You see these bees, they're working together. How many insects do something like that? You know, in, in the insect kingdom, they're not too many. You know, bees stand alone in producing this marvelous product called honey. And so here's this natural law uh, in effect that man can observe with his own eyes. And from that, a moral, uh, a moral implication, a moral law. And again, an inner moral law occurring within each and every person for those things of industry and virtue and truth and honor and so on and so on and so on. So anyway, uh, that's the first point. What do you think? I go ahead, Mike. Oh, I was going to say I uh, I had not thought of the the beehive that way. Um, it'll. I'm going to go a little more superficially and say that it's it's very much like the lodge, right? Um, you know, from outside the building, you can't tell the work that's going on inside. That's um, very good. Yeah. So, you know, to think about it as the, the work that's going on within each one of us, I think is um, definitely a much deeper uh, interpretation. I was going to bring up that point. It's, it's, for me, it's more of like my internal workings of myself. Yeah, I, I think it was kind of as soon as you said that, I was like, yeah, that's, that's 
pretty heavy. I mean, what you see on the outside is not much on this. And I mean, even like the stuff like Richard Kroll. So if Richard comes on, you know, Richard's a beekeeper and, you know, you might see the box and things, you know, that, that the hives are in, but you really don't see all the stuff that's going on internally. So, so as you were mentioning, you know, the different planes, you know, from what Mike's point is, like, if you look at it as the lodge, you know, really, yeah, you might see people coming and going, but you don't have any clue what's going on. And then you step inside the lodge, oh, there's another beehive. And that represents me. And what's, you guys can see the outside of me, but you don't necessarily see all the work that's going on inside of me. But maybe a lot of what I'm getting from the guys around me is helping me internally and helping me build up some of that structure. And uh, you know, it's not light, but the, the sweetness and, you know, getting rid of some of the, uh, the sour and the bitter and, and turn it more into honey. I think that's what makes Mason's unique is just what you what you just said. Everybody kind of working together for like a maybe a common goal, maybe a common purpose to make us better men and better brothers. So, uh, last comment there then on this part of it, it's a symbol for truth and for coming to understanding truth because it's happening in nature, and it's right in front of us. That's exactly what it is. All right, so we have a few different things we're going to share tonight. So I'm going to go ahead and go on to the next one. So this is another article. The beehive is a Masonic symbol that, whoops, too far. The beehive is a Masonic symbol that is quite often seen in collages of Masonic imagery. The beehive often brings to mind a well-organized group of insects working together for a common goal. The term generally associated with it is industry. Not in the modern sense of massive machines working to stamp out multiple like items, but in the more ancient sense of a group of individuals working to create something. To our ancient operative brothers who came from the guilds of the Middle Ages, industry in the old meaning was how things were accomplished without modern heavy machinery. Individuals were assigned specific tasks based on their skill level. Some might simply be carrying stone or other materials to the more experienced brothers who would then fashion the proper piece for the structure. Others still put their skills to planning how the structure would be put together and what tasks the aforementioned experienced brothers would be doing to help complete the structure. No one group was the linchpin to the project or structure, yet all were critical to make the project a success. Fast forward to the arrival of speculative masonry and you have a hive of a new kind. Still, you have a structure that requires workers on all levels to make the hive. In this case, the hive is a synonym for a lodge to make it function and be successful. More experienced brothers in the craft share their knowledge with newer workers in the hive, all the while realizing that they have their own task in the hive and have to do their part to make the hive function properly and to succeed with the projects at hand. There's also the leader of the hive, in the case of the Masonic Lodge, the Worshipful Master, who reads the plans and guides the workers at all levels to a successful project. Whether you are talking about our ancient operative brothers or the modern hive, the end goal is still the same, a group of individuals working together for a common goal. The success of any one individual is important since it helps the larger structure of the hive succeed. Even with the opportunity for individual success and growth, we still see the need for the overall structure of the hive to succeed. The hive must succeed, otherwise the individual accomplishment has a reduced meaning, possibly even making the individual success meaningless. The idea for the hive is to assemble those who can best work together and best agree on the common goal of the hive. 
It is through this concept of industry that our ancient operative brothers were able to create grand cathedrals and other enduring structures. It is also how modern Freemasonry makes successful lodges, some enduring for hundreds of years. Looked like there were a couple of those bees hanging outside that hive smoking cigars. <laughs> it's enjoying a beverage. Yeah, there's some of that nectar of the gods, that golden uh, honey. Yeah. Well, so um, here's another plane of truth. Okay, so we've had one plane, two planes of truth. Here's a third plane of truth. And you notice how I'm using the term plane. And geometry, of course, has theorems that are uh, provable. So this particular one has to do with the nature of the honeycomb itself. And the honeycomb has, it has cells that we know. And they're put together very carefully by these bees. And they, does anyone know what geometric shape the uh, honeycomb takes? Hexagon, right? Hmm? Isn't it a hexagon? Hexagon, right. So what is interesting about the hexagon is it occurs in nature in all kinds of places. Uh, if you take um, soap bubbles, for instance, and combine them of different sizes and different shapes, the connecting part where each bubble touches becomes a hexagon. And so it's a phenomenon. Um, and the cells inside the uh, hive are used to store the honey. So here it is on the, you know, the very inside of this beehive, what these bees are doing is this incredible, uh, amazing phenomenon of making honey, which turns out to be sweet and nutritious for us. You know, we, we sure enjoy a whole lot of it. But there's also, of course, something that the bee does, uh, which I wish Richard was here. I was going to ask him to tell us about that. And that's the cross-pollinization that, that bees do. So essential. Um, so again, you know, we have an exterior purpose, but then there's also an, an inner, an inner truth in a way. Uh, in that, here are these bees performing this incredible feat. It's just they're insects for crying out loud. How many other insects are out there doing this, right? You know, and we can't replicate it ourselves. It's beyond our own power. So. The beehive uh, was seen as a divine, a divine thing, and uh, a, I wrote down here it's a uh, it's a symbol of the universe, a microcosm, in a way because it is, is so neat in its harmony and its purpose and the way it functions and how the bees work together in this community of bees and it's only bees, you know you don't wasps try to get in there and the bees will eject them, they'll fight them right but. Uh, they're unique amongst the insect kingdom and in what they do. So that's a third plane of truth, brothers. I'm sure Richard could probably throw something else. Something else. Oh, and by the way, you've got a honeycomb on the inside of you, and uh, you know you're yeah. filling it full of honey. Never mind. Well, I think you know this second article kind of ties in more with you know how how Mike was looking at it, you know the exterior of the building and then the bees being inside because you know you talk about how 
it it takes all of us working together to ensure the the sanctity and the success of the lodge. You know, it's as I was reading this earlier, kind of you know practicing up. I was thinking like sports teams and stuff. You know, you can take the best sports team, you can take any sports team and take the number one player in the world and put them on a crappy team, and if the team doesn't you know, play well together. He's, you know, his efforts are pretty much meaningless. Yeah. He might, he might hit a record or something, but if they don't make it to the playoffs or they don't even get, you know, 50% record or something, it's kind of like, you know, they, you don't really care much about them and they they really wouldn't be seen as a big success. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think it's the same thing in our lodge. I mean, that's one of the things I, I really have always liked about our lodge is we are just such a strong group of guys working together. I mean, we just, we gel. I mean, we get the stuff done that needs to be done. Now, if I had to say there was any downside is we need more bees, you know, we we need more guys that are, you know, able to to jump in and and take the realm and, and, you know, or take the the reins and kind of, you know, get stuff done. So, uh, but, you know, I mean, as we heard from uh, Worshipful Jordan Yelnick when he came down from Grand Lodge and did that whole presentation about, you know, lodges through the centuries and how we're kind of back to how it was in the what 18th century with the small lodges or, or maybe you've got 15, 20 guys that are consistently there and tend to do everything. And you know, that's kind of how we are. But, you know, it would be nice if some of those uh, some of those other 200 members of ours, if even another 20 of them showed up. And you know, got more involved. Well, you know, you and I have talked about that, and I think we've got some ideas. Once we're finally uh, cleared for takeoff, when we're gathering again, we we're going to put a little more, uh, you know, some fun into it, and have some events. And since Michael's listening there, uh, in Shavam, have some fun events, but also, you know, do this sort of thing. This is kind of a trial balloon here to have this lecture here like this. And try to expound on it a little bit further beyond, you know, a, a brother taking the monitor and reading for himself. You know, and maybe that's the only exposure he'll ever get uh, on the beehive, you know, because he's busy. He's got a family. He's got a business to run or something like that. Worsh, did you have another article that you were going to? I, I didn't have another article, but I do have something else that I was going to wanted to read here. So one last piece that I was going to share. Okay. And then I've got a follow up after that. Okay. Another plane. All right. So, so this one, we'll see if anybody recognizes what this is from. I have a feeling Mike will. The beehive is an emblem of industry and recommends the practice of that virtue to all created beings. From the highest seraph in heaven to the lowest reptile of the dust, it teaches us that as we came into the world rational and intelligent beings, so we should ever be industrious ones never sitting down contented while our fellow creatures around us are in want, especially when it is in our powers to relieve them without inconvenience to ourselves. When we take a survey of nature, we view man in his infancy, more helpless and indigent than the brute creation. He lies languishing for days, months, and years, totally incapable of providing sustenance for himself, of guarding against the attack of wild beasts of the field, or sheltering himself from the inclemencies of the weather. It might have pleased the great creator of heaven and earth to have made man independent of all other beings, but as dependence is one of the strongest bonds of society, mankind were made dependent on each other for protection and security, as they thereby enjoy better opportunities of fulfilling the duties of reciprocal love and friendship. Thus was man formed for social and active life. 
the noblest part of the work of God, and he that will so demean himself as to not be endeavoring to add to the common stock of knowledge and understanding may be deemed a drone in the hive of nature, a useless member of society, and unworthy of our protection as Masons. That's right out of the monitor. Or out That's of the right out of that, that is monitorial, not esoteric. That is monitorial, but that would be part of if you had a what we would call long form. I'm not sure if you have short form and long form, Brian, but in California, in some of the lectures, we can do a short form or a long form. So if you do a long form version of the third degree lecture, that would be part of the lecture. Is that the, uh, the third degree? Yeah. Not not uh, a passage we we hear very often because it's it's uh, so rare that that lecture is done in the long form. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I think doing it in the long form adds another what 10, 15 minutes to it. About ten, yeah. Yeah, so you take a twenty minute lecture and make it a half hour, and and you start it, and then half the people in the room go, oh. <laughs> Yeah, 27 minutes. 27 minutes. Mr. Shavam's got it, it recorded. So, I mean, to me, that, that was another one where, well, actually, you know what? Go ahead, John. You, you start, and then I'll, I had something else to bring up. Well, could you uh, put that, uh, that drawing up again with the beehive on the top? Yep. Uh, wait, where did it go? Hold on. I got to share it again. Okay. So now there's that. Uh, share screen. Okay. No, the other the other one with the uh, sorry, the other one with the great lights. The other one with the what? With the lights. You know, the square and compass in the Holy Bible. Oh, gotcha. Or the uh, volume of the sacred law. Hold on, my my computer's being a little geeky here. Hold, please. There you go. There you go. That one. Okay. So we've talked about the, you know, the obvious thing that bees are doing. They got a hive. And then the, the next plane was there's something going on on the inside. And the next plane, here's this hexagon thing, this, this great ordering, this organize, organizing principle strictly from nature. There's, it's not chaos. There's the way these hexagon cells fit together. You can picture a honeycomb. You know, you, you really have this miraculous uh, idea of divine perfection and so forth. So with this particular hieroglyph, you notice how the beehive is at the very top, right, of the great lights. So, and that, and I saw this somewhere else too, and I, I thought about it for a while. And for me, I'm one of these contemplative masons. And... Freemasonry is trying to bring about a new consciousness, a new way of thinking, or in addition to the way you think, a kind of process. And initiation is typically in stages or a sequence. So the beehive is at the very top and starting, you know, going from inner apprentice, fellow craft and so forth, you're implying that you're achieving a greater understanding of many things, you know, the way you look at yourself, the way you look at the world, it's our relationship to ourselves, our relationship to the lodge, our relationship to our work and so forth. And we get this organizing principle, this ordering of 
of, uh, in a way, uh, uh, out of chaos, you know, you know, the noise of the world where, you know, all these drawings with these uh, stone masons, they've got squares and, and uh, levels and, and plums and they're truing everything. Well, we're, we're taking our own world, our own relationships and we're truing them in a sense to, to have that kind of new consciousness, a greater awareness, a greater depth of understanding so that we become masters of understanding. We understand the moral truth of things, the planes of truth of things, because geometry, and you know, I'm only taking this from people I've read, geometry helps us see things in dimensions, spatial dimensions, if you will. We've got the horizontal plane and we've got the vertical plane that because we're spatial people, we orient ourselves, but we also have an inner life that's spatial as well, spiritual landscapes, if you will, intellectual landscapes. These are, you know, uh, intellectual landscapes could be the history of, of World War II that we picture in our mind or something, or philosophies of one kind or another that we accumulate over time. And this is the work of the hive that we're doing ourselves. This is the individual mason staring at this hieroglyph here with the beehive at the very top, which I, I think is fascinating. Um, I've got one other picture I wanna put up. Can I put up my own picture? Yep, you should be able to. So can you see that? How do I get that on there? Can you turn so, it over? So down at the bottom there, you should have a share screen button. Share, share. Oh, there we go, share screen. Okay, da, 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 da. I want this guy. Did it pop up? Yep. So this guy's name is Trophonius. And he's a Greek god. And here's another one of these symbol hieroglyphs. And by the way, the study of symbols is called semiotics. And uh, if you're familiar with Jung, he wrote a whole bunch about how symbols communicate very deeply to us, um, more so than the written word. And Freemasonry, of course, is full of symbols. And when you start to assemble the symbols together, not individually, you can understand them individually, but when you start to put them together, you know, you, you really have this high impact thing. This is why Freemasonry has lasted for so long. It's, it's almost inexhaustible in terms of the kind of speculations that you can do um, with these symbols. But you notice here, this guy, he's got, uh, he's got a beehive. And there's 20 bees here. I don't know what the number 20 means, but certainly three, five, and seven uh, have had, and, and 12 and so forth according to Pythagoreans and whatnot, these numbers meant something. But uh, this guy here, he, uh, he, he was attributed as having, uh, he was being the nourisher of the mind, it was a moniker that was given to him, the nourisher of the mind. And when you look at the, uh, you understand that motto, nourisher of the mind in conjunction with these two symbols, the beehive and then the phoenix, on the right shoulder of the character here. The phoenix, uh, we know, represents, you know, rising from the ashes, renewed. And so here's this idea of a new consciousness, a new understanding, a new way of seeing and, and being, which is what the mysteries were all about. And Freemasonry is sort of built upon the mysteries. Um, this particular drawing was done in 1575. And I couldn't find anything to explain you know, where it came from or who did it. 
but it indicates to me the mysteries were alive and well, but in an underground way, in a hidden way, because the church was the, you know, which I belong to, uh, was, you know, the all, all, all being authority of everything. So finally, in this picture here, you've got, you got the beehive, you got the phoenix, you have this urn here, which could, you know, could be a funeral urn or not. Honey was used in Egyptian funerary services, which is interesting. And the mysteries, the mysteries themselves, you know, the, the great mysteries of uh, the Mediterranean world lasted for about a thousand years. They were finally outlawed. They were very popular and there were many of them, Melissinian, Bacchian mystery religions. They were um, outlawed in 400, roughly by the Roman emperor. But that urn there could be something to do with honey and funerary rites or mystery religion rites. And then above that, you have this kind of um, explosion of fruit and uh, or vegetables or what have you, a symbol of regeneration, a symbol of life and so forth, a cornucopia of goods. So, um, and then finally behind the pedestal there, oh yeah, the pedestal is interesting in and of itself. Um, next to it, you have a crook, some kind of a shepherd's crook there with the spiral in there. And I think that's a philosopher's staff and the spiral indicates the you know, never ending cycles of life, so on and so on. Behind the pedestal on the, on the left, uh, on his left, you almost have like these water reeds. So I got the idea that there might be water in the background, you know, uh, a lake or a river or something, which would be another symbol for something. So the, again, the whole idea, this is under semiotics, understanding and interpreting how symbols communicate very deeply to us within the mind. And, um, how, you know, Jung, he's, you know, he's written all kinds of stuff about that. Um, anyway, so it's trying to get, get us to reach a new consciousness, you know, a continually renewing sort of process of the mind, um, you know, through symbols. Okay. Yeah. So a couple things. So, you know, that, that kind of struck a chord, you know, there's, what did they say? Honey is like the only, the only food stuff that never goes bad. Right. So you talk about the honey being the nourishment for the mind and honey is something that never goes bad. It's kind of like, you know, that, that knowledge, that education you get, it, it's for life. You never lose it. It never goes bad. So that, that was one thing that came to mind. And then the other one was, you know, in, in the, uh, the part in the monitor there that talks about the beehive and about how man is made to be dependent, you know, from the time we're born, we cannot take care of ourselves. And that goes through that we're, it's not, man is not meant to be alone. And it kind of, you know, at first I was thinking about the movie Into the Wild, if anybody's seen that, where the guy, he's like tired of people, tired of society, goes off to live by himself. And then he realizes after however much time he's like, no, this, I, people aren't meant to be by themselves. I need to be with more people again. Um, but the other side of that is, is during this whole pandemic. And to me, what really brought it to light was uh, in talking with Heinz, uh, one of our past masters, Heinz Fierbach. And I was talking to him on the phone and he, and I said, so how are you doing? He goes, I'm dying. This thing's killing me. He says, you have no clue how much of my life and how much of me staying alive and staying healthy is the interaction with the other guys. He says, I, I'm members of multiple lodges. He goes, I go out with people almost every night to do things. 
And he's like, I, I haven't seen anybody. I haven't seen my family. I haven't seen my friends. He's like, you know, and he started naming off people he knows that have passed. And it's not that they passed from COVID, but it's like, you know, I mean, you know, Mike and I, you know, talk about as we're going through our list and the dues and remittances, like when we get back to Lodge, we've got like 14 in memoriams to do. Not that they all died in the last year, but it's just there have been a lot of deaths in the last year. And a lot of people have just kind of, I mean, we just got off the phone today with a friend who's afraid that her mother has just basically given up because she can't, can't see anybody, can't go out, can't do anything, and has just kind of said, I'm done. I'm done. I, I can't live like this. So, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I talked to David Olmedo. He's the master at Downey. Uh huh. And uh, this is a month or two ago, I ran into him and he ran down a list of uh, brothers from that lodge that had passed. And it was all recent. There, you know, like a handful of them. It was, it, was, it was shocking to hear it. I don't know if it's COVID or something else, but, you know, wow, man, we're really taking one on the chin. Yeah. You know, I, I think I can, you can almost say that about what you're saying about your, your person there, you know, kind of Diane. I think the lodges also, you can say that too, by not having dinners or fundraisers or table lodges and stuff like that, that they depend on. You can see lodges also going through the same dying formation too. Yeah. I, I mean, that's my biggest fear is that when we do finally get to a point where we come back that, you know, we say, okay, everybody we're back and we show up the first night and we got five guys. Yeah. Because, you know, it's, and it's not necessarily that people have decided it's not a part anymore, but there's, there's a guy, it's funny, there's a guy in my complex. So I live in a little neighborhood and it's, it's surrounded on three sides by the wetlands and then by a main street in the front, there's a guy from our lodge that also lives here. And I mean, I live 15 miles, 20 miles away from the lodge. And, you know, Mike gave me his address and I just happened to be walking by one day, saw the guy, got to talking to him. He basically, he's been a member for what, 50 years or something like that. But he said, you know, back in Vietnam era, he went, went to war and, you know, stopped, obviously stopped going to lodge then, then came back and got married and then, you know, had the kids and he was like, you just hit a point. It just, you get out of the habit. And when you get out of the habit, it's just kind of hard to turn around and get back in. So I guess that's my biggest fear is that, you know, when we finally do get back to the point when we can come into lodge that it's not a habit anymore for everybody. You know, and that's why even during the summers, you know, when most lodges are dark, you know, we typically still go, okay, well, we're not going to have a lodge meeting, but you guys want to show up on Thursday night. We're all going to go meet at this bar. Or we're going to go meet at this pizza place or something just to keep everybody in the habit of Thursday nights or lodge nights. I try to put a positive spin on this and, and, say yeah i think a lot of guys are going to fall out of the habit but at the same time when restrictions are uh, are lifted and um you know enough people have been inoculated um people are going to be looking for something to do and it's going to take a while for businesses to ramp up and for events to get planned and and so we have an opportunity to maybe let our communities know that we're here and that we're meeting and, hey guys, you wanna get out of the house on Thursday nights, yeah. come on Definitely. down and, and check us out. It'll be um, hopefully an opportunity to bring in fresh Masons. Yeah, I'm even kind of hoping we do a big, cel big celebration of some kind, you know, just to, just to put ourselves out there like, hey, look, you know, we're back, COVID's lifted, let's, 
yeah, let's get together and celebrate a little bit. <laughs> That's a yeah. great idea. You know, big open house. Um, yeah. Brian, if I, can I, Brian, can I ask you, uh, you guys hold events at your lodge for, for, you know, trying to gather new candidates? Yep. Yeah, we do. We have a big, uh, it's called the Phillips days. That's our big one. It's um, the whole street, you know, kind of shuts down for the night and we do like an open fair and, you know, there's a festivals and there's sales and stuff. we do an open house. We open up the lodge cause we're right dead center in a town. So we just open up the lodge. We have a couple tables there and yeah, we, we get candidates that way and just like, Hey, we're here. Come on in and check us out. Yeah. Wow. That's really so, good. Yeah. I do like, like the idea of, uh, you know, like once, once it's over and everything can start opening up again, you know, we've got that big marquee out in the front, you know, we can put and advertise a couple weeks ahead of time, you know, like, Hey, we're back, we're open, you know, come on in, get some fellowship, you know, hang out and advertise it on our social media and by our email blast and like, just get it out there. And we probably even have, for, you know, prospects. even for new candidates, but just for brothers as well, get to get the brothers back. Like, Hey, it's okay. Come, come back, you know, come, let's celebrate, let's celebrate, you know, let's celebrate this. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. That's my hope. Like I said, yeah, bring bring a friend, bring a neighbor, bring a you know, relative. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Yeah. I what I hope, like I said, that my first one was my fear. My hope is yeah. that it's going to be like you said, Mike. Is that we're going to hit that point, and so many people are going to be like, "Oh my God, I have I I you know what? I missed this stuff so bad." And I got yeah. other people now that are looking for something similar that we have a, a burst of membership. We have a burst. And I of hope people. there's a new sense of appreciation that of what you can lose. You can you you can lose it so quickly if you don't if you don't keep it. You know. Yeah. So I, I definitely have a more appreciation myself for for going through this time frame. Yeah. Well put. Hey, uh, Warshi Diaz, uh, in listen only mode. As our as our district inspector, you have anything you you like to share, or are you truly in listen only mode? No, I'm here. Sorry, I was washing dishes. <laughs> I was doing the manly thing around the house and washing dishes. Uh, no, you know, I, I got most of your 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 talk, and it was awesome. Um, I agree with uh, you know what you guys are saying, and <clears throat> excuse me, that's something that you know John and I were talking about the other day right before I left is, you know, having some type of informal, non-Masonic uh, open house, you know, um, you know, one example he gave was, you know, showing sports or something and, you know, during halftime or whatever, it's like, hey, would you guys like to hear something about Masonry? <laughs> Just to be very, uh, un, un, you know, informal about it. But I think there, I totally agree with you guys. Um, and, um, what uh, Brian was saying with, uh, you know, the pe people are missing uh, a lot. And I think hopefully uh, during this time, they kind of realize how much they, they miss masonry and, and more importantly, what is it they're missing about it? You know, as John and I were talking about, you know, what is it, is it the traffic driving the lodge? Is it, you know, just seeing the guys like, what is it? What's the underlying thing that you truly miss about it? besides just wanting to get out of the house. There's got to be something in masonry that not only drew you to it, but that makes you years later want to be a part of it. Um, so I think, you know, we should, as much as we uh, do it on social media and through Zoom, you know, it's limited, but um, I, I think we should start ramping up the message a little more, just letting people know that, hey, um, won't be long before we can meet and be great to see as many people as we can. Uh, those that are interested, those who have had an interest in masonry 
and we can, you know, educate them, let them know what it is we're doing. Um, so brothers, I, I have to, I have to run, but thank you for letting me join and, and listen on your lecture. It was very good. And I hope to do it again. Hey, great. Thanks for being Brian. Nice to nice talk to with you, Brian. Thank you. Nice to meet you all. You bet, brother. All right, gentlemen. Well, I don't know about you, but uh, I think I'm going to step out and go grab a bite for dinner and an adult beverage. Thank you, Worshipful. Sounds good. All right. Great Thanks topic. All right. We'll do Thanks. it again. Thanks, Aaron. You're welcome. Yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll grab something else out of the out of the monitor, and I, I think the next one's probably going to be the pot of incense. Something that people are going, huh? And we'll make an night of it. <laughs> Take a deep breath. Right on. Yeah. That sounds yeah, awesome. Yeah, you guys, you know, with your cigars, you got some incense. You know all about that. <laughs> <laughs> all, right. all right, guys. All right, enough. Peace. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. If you really like what you heard, share this podcast with your friends and lodge members. Visit us online at solomonstaircase.org.